please indulge me for a couple minutes here at the beginning uh, before I get into the main podcast. This is in honor of Martin Luther King Jr. Day here in the United States on Monday. I'm going to play two minutes of one of his famous speeches, Beyond Vietnam. And when I hear the speech, I think of uh, the similar situation we find ourselves in today with wars and racism against immigrants and, and Muslims in general. So uh, that's it. Enjoy. We'll see it in two minutes. I have tried to offer them my deepest compassion while maintaining my conviction that social change comes most meaningfully through nonviolent action. But they ask, and rightly so, what about Vietnam? They ask if our own nation wasn't using massive doses of violence to solve its problems, to bring about the changes it wanted. Their questions hit home, and I knew that I could never again raise my voice against the violence of the oppressed in the ghettos without having first spoken clearly to the greatest purveyor of violence in the world today, my own government, for the sake of those boys, for the sake of this government, for the sake of the hundreds of thousands trembling under our violence, I cannot be silent. It is with such activity in mind that the words of the late John F. Kennedy come back to haunt us. Five years ago, he said, those who make peaceful revolution impossible will make violent revolution inevitable. We must rapidly begin the shift from a thing-oriented society to a person-oriented society when machines and computers, profit motives and property rights are considered more important than people, the giant triplets of racism, extreme materialism and militarism are incapable of being conquered. A true revolution of values will soon cause us to question the fairness and justice of many of our past and present policies. On the one hand, we are called to play the Good Samaritan on life's roadside, but that will be only an initial act. One day we must come to see that the whole Jericho Road must be transformed so that men and women will not be constantly beaten and robbed as they make their journey on life's highway. True compassion is more than flinging a coin to a beggar. It comes to see that an edifice which produces beggars needs restructuring. You're listening to the Bitcoin and Markets Podcast. What a powerful speaker. You guys might be asking, why is there Martin Luther King Jr. stuff on a Bitcoin podcast? But a lot of what he railed against, you know, he railed against the system. And as soon as he started getting a little bit too close for comfort with the true elites, the true government that's controlling the world, the bankers and and their whole system of corruption that they have set up with wars and, and all that, he was offed, right? And... So a lot of what he says rings true still today, but I put all humanity with uh, the blacks that he 
you know, he really supported and, and he fought for their civil rights. I, I see that everybody is together in this against a uh, small group of powerful people that they don't want to try new things because they are in control. They control our money. They control the government. They control whatever. And, you know, it's a conspiracy theory. Sure. Whatever. It's a, you, some people call it a cabal or Illuminati or something. I mean, I wouldn't go that far, but I think that there are very powerful people that really don't care about what happens to you and me. They don't care that people are struggling to make ends meet. They don't care that hundreds of thousands of people died in Iraq. What happened in Libya? Oh my God. I mean, they don't really care about those people. And yeah, it sounds like a conspiracy theory, but those those people are brown. So um, I think that what, what Martin Luther King said back, uh, what was that? 50 years ago now. That speech was from 67. So 50 years ago, um, what he said was pretty profound even today. But thanks for just uh, letting me go on that. My name is Ansel Linder. This is Bitcoin and Markets, episode 31. I'm kind of calling this maybe season two because it's been so long since I've done my last episode. Have a pretty good show today. Talk about all sorts of stuff. Um, pretty short on the altcoinville. I mean, there, when Bitcoin's in a bull run, the altcoins kind of die, right? And there's all the drama around altcoins kind of die. There's one little small story I have in there. I talk about all sorts of stuff in bits and pieces and... Flashpoint is all about the PBOC and the Chinese drama that's happening over there. So that's pretty good. You'll want to stick around for that. Before we get into that main content, though, I just have a few words. Um, thank you for all the love and support from my listeners. I got several, uh, several people contacted me and, and was at, they were asking about the new, uh, when the new episode was coming out, yada, yada, yada. And, uh, so thank you for that. I took this time off to be a family man, uh, to spend time with my daughters and not worry about, uh, recording. Um, even though this is like one of my favorite times of the week, uh, it, it just adds a little bit of stress and I didn't want that around the holidays. Uh, the weather was crappy here. Uh, my wife is pregnant. She's nesting. So I was like building furniture and everything and painting, um, in the uh, nursery for that. So, uh, just busy time and now I'm back and let's get this rolling once a week, try to get these out and thank you for everybody that supported me <sighs> during this break. I actually taught my daughters how to read the Bitcoin charts because <laughs> I was watching them and, uh, doing some paper trading, you know, <laughs> they love green candles now. <laughs> They're like, come on, Bitcoin, go up, go up. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so. That's great. Let's get into a market update right now. We're, we're sitting on Bitstamp. Shit. Let me pull it up. Bitstamp is 221. It's 221. Jesus. What am I in 2015? Um, no, Bitstamp is 821 and OKCoin is sitting at 5647. We seem to have bottomed out. So, uh, that's good. Uh, coming back up. We, we hit that 50% retracement fib. From all the way down the low of in 2015 to this recent high, we hit that 50% retracement. I think that's a pretty solid bottom. It's also the long one and a half year trend line, the bottom of that trend. So I think that's a pretty solid bottom. Hopefully that holds. What else we got? Um, local Bitcoin's volume. 
So for the last week, it was 17.5 million. That's down a little bit. I, I haven't looked at the Paxful volume, so that might be, might have taken up the difference. Paxful, I know, is doing a great job. They're growing pretty quickly. So, um, maybe I'll start looking at both of those, uh, local Bitcoins and Paxful. On chain volume, uh, over the last week was, or no, 24 hours was 177 million dollars worth of Bitcoin. Next estimated difficulty change is in about a week's time and it's going to be another 6%. So we've had multiple large increases. Uh, let's see, the last four have been increases 10%, 1%, 10%, and 6%. So we're going up pretty drastically, pretty quickly, and that's just a good sign. I like to see the difficulty going up when the price is going up because that, that adds a backstop to the price in my opinion it kind of shows like this is a floor under the price it's coming up with with it segwit is sitting still at 25 percent, and this is a little bit surprising to me um i talk about one big endorsement that segwit got from the community and we'll see a lot of the miners seem to be uh, just holding off maybe they're when they get new mining equipment in they're they're gonna switch it out i don't know uh, but Greg Maxwell seems to think that a lot of them are in the process. It's just taking quite a bit of time to do that. And as if the price is going up, you know, they don't see the, the urgency. So maybe we need to communicate with them a little bit better. Uh, unlimited. I, I almost hate to mention these guys because they are a joke. No one is going to run unlimited, but they'd have increased to 15%. Uh, we'll see if that holds. Um, I thought they would never get over 10 or 11%, but they have increased to 15. <laughs> but they're never going to get 50%. They, they want 75%, right? They're, can you imagine if Unlimited got to 75% and Segwit didn't get to 75% when it is definitely the Segwit is what the community has basically picked as the best technical solution to this problem? Okay. So that's all for a market update that I have. Let's get into bits and pieces. Bits and pieces. Oh, I missed the show. Oh man, this is this is like the best part of my week recording this for you guys. And um, yeah, I just I missed it. Let's get right into bits and pieces. The biggest story is the price increase. Um, I touch on this in the featured article. I'm going to talk about the PBOC and all the stuff surrounding China, uh, some of that drama. Um, but I have some more specific, uh, a few other stories that I just want to get into. Um, <laughs> since I've been away for so long, uh, at, on my break, uh, I know that you guys have probably been watching the news, uh, Bitcoin news, and you have other sources of information. But there's a few things that I, I want to touch on here. Um, uh, if I missed a lot, okay, uh, sorry about that. Uh, there, we will be covering most of the stuff that has happened over the last month. But, uh, you know, as we just talk about other topics, then we'll touch on everything that's happened and, and I'll link all those type of articles. But there's just too much to go back and cover that's happened over this price increase. Um, I just want to point out a few things, uh, a few big things that stuck out to me. So back in June, when we were hitting those highs in June of 2016, I tweeted out that this is the new normal. 
Okay, Bitcoin, if you look at 2016, you know, the end of 2015 through 2016, we saw two increases of roughly 2x. So we went from about 250 to about 500, then we consolidated for a while. Um, and then we had a run from about 400 to about 800 and we consolidated for a while. And then towards the end of 2016, so I called it in June. I said, Hey, these, this is the new normal 2x. We're the, the days of the 10, 20x bubble that is gone because the market has matured to a point that it's not going to let that happen. We've also gotten to a point where steadily we're going to increase our user base, uh, increase the use cases and do all these things. So the day days of the 10 X bubble are dead because I mean, if we go 10 X again, it's going to 10,000 and I just don't see that happening in the near future. I see us doubling about every six months. So a four X increase every year. And if you go back in the history of Bitcoin, that is about the average. You'll have these 10x jumps, 20x jumps with a 90% correction. I don't want that anymore. Nobody wants that. We want to have steady increase. So anyway, I called this back in June and that's what we saw. We saw us run from that top again, um, you know, roughly around 600 to roughly around 1200. And now we've corrected. So this could be another, um, you know, five month consolidation and we just keep going up. It just feels like Bitcoin is going up and up and up. We start picking up speed and then we go 2x again to 2000 and we consolidate after that. But we'll see. That's my prediction and <laughs> we'll see how that that ends up. <laughs> okay. Um there is a story or it's not a story, it's a YouTube channel. It's fucking hilarious. It's called Line Rider, and I link to it in the show notes so you guys can check this out. This guy or girl, whoever it is, put together these videos. They have five up there right now. And there's this little dude on a motorcycle, and he's riding the charts. It's called Technical Analysis of, like, Bitcoin, uh, Ethereum. He has one. That's probably my favorite one. Ethereum or Factum is pretty good. Uh, but, yeah, they have five videos up there. Just hilarious. So whoever's doing that, <laughs> awesome, man. That is awesome. Some other news here. Uh, Coinbase, Brian Armstrong, CEO of Coinbase, finally has said that he's going to back Segwit. <laughs> it came out, said, um, hey, after learning more about Segwit and all this, I think this is the way to go. So I, I agree. And, you know, is it Charlie Lee or, or the, the Litecoin creator? He's He's COO. One of those C-level guys at Coinbase, and he's been backing SegWit this whole time. There, Litecoin is actually going to be activating uh, SegWit probably pretty soon before Bitcoin. So that's interesting. But yeah, um, so Brian Armstrong came out and said, yeah, we should activate SegWit. And that is a big step. I mean, he is making... He, I commend him and I put, I tweeted out to him after he tweeted this that I commend them for looking at this rationally and taking steps to heal the community, quote unquote, heal the community, if that's even necessary or wanted or needed or, you know, uh, but yeah, I commend them for this. I think this is a big step for Coinbase. I think it's a big step for Bitcoin. Um, and I hope that this continually grows on itself here. 
um, IRS, I put in a video to this IRS stuff. Speaking of Coinbase, you know, there's all this IRS FUD around, around Coinbase. And I, I think my meetup group, I had a CPA. He showed up, uh, at one of the groups and, or one of the meetings. And then the next meeting, he's like, Hey, you know, I'll give a little presentation on Bitcoin because he, he's getting pretty interested in it. And so, I said, okay, cool. So he spent two weeks or a month researching this, putting together a short little presentation, and he gave it to to our meetup. Um, it was the typical stuff that you'd expect. You have to take the basis of when you buy the coins and when you use the coins, first in, first out accounting and all this stuff. You need to account for this, have good records, and that's all great advice. Um, I asked him a few questions and trying to dig down into what he really thinks. Cause you know, he has 20 years of experience with the IRS and taxes. So I wanted to really understand what his opinions were on this. And what I got out of it was, um, that they care about income. They don't care so much about, uh, so you bought $500 worth of Bitcoin and you used $500 worth of Bitcoin on purse or, uh, you use that Bitcoin on purse, <clears throat> excuse me. And a little bit later, or when you, when you take the cost basis of that, the difference is, well, oh, you made 50 bucks, but you didn't claim it. They don't. Yes, that's important because if they ever do try to get you, they'll, they'll see that. <clears throat> but what they're really after is income. So if you have a Coinbase account and you're accepting Bitcoin and you're cashing it out, but you're not claiming that. And if, if it's a, if it's a $500 thing, it's not going to be that big a deal to the IRS probably. But if, if you're going at 50,000, you have an income of 50,000 into your Coinbase account without claiming it on your tax returns or not including it as income on your taxes. That's who they're going to go after. 50, 100, 200,000 of income that you're not claiming. So if that's not you, if you're just a holder and then every once in a while you use Bitcoin like me, um, then you're probably okay. And you might want to, uh, every, every year on your taxes, just say, you know, Hey, I made include that capital gains, whatever it was on that transaction. That's pretty simple counting and, uh, claim that. But if you don't, I mean, I, I recommend you do that, but if you don't, I don't think you have much to worry about a few hundred dollars or even, even probably as high as a few thousand. But if you are getting income and you're not claiming it, you, you're in trouble. You're definitely in trouble here. Um, I recommend if you get income with Bitcoin, obviously claim it on your taxes, but don't let it touch Coinbase. Don't really let it touch any company. Even the BitWage, I was excited about the BitWage comp, uh, man, what is their, uh, domain? BitWage, probably .com or something. I was excited about them a couple years ago, but I'm not anymore. I mean, you don't want to get paid through a centralized company because that's probably the next one to get subpoenaed by the IRS. So anytime you're using a centralized third party, you're, and you're getting income, you must claim that. Well, you must claim that all the time. Like I said, pay your taxes. This is an article from Zero Hedge. Um, uh, there's some backstory to this. Well, not specifically this, but there's some backstory to Zero Hedge. Uh, I've been reading Zero Hedge for, well, probably going back to like 2011, 2012. And they had really good articles. You know, they came out with maybe four or five articles a day. The chat 
or the comment section was pretty stellar back then. Um, and I enjoyed being on there, but now it's like they pump out an article every 30 minutes or every 20 minutes, 15 minutes. It, it just, there's no way you can read all of it. A lot of it is, um, sensationalized obviously now. So they've lost a lot of their solid reporting that they've had in the past, or at least, uh, reporting that you could count on. Now there's all sorts of FUD. There's all sorts of, um, you know, praying to the manipulation god of gold <laughs> that, uh, uh, the gold price is going up. And in the comment section, there's a lot of lewd stuff that goes on. There's a lot of, um, you know, uh, humor. And I, I don't mind humor. Obviously, it's funny. A lot of it is hilarious. Some of the memes are hilarious, but <laughs> it just gets a little bit overdone, you know? Like if you're looking for serious stuff and serious comments like they, they used to have, um, then the comedy gets a little bit old. And I don't really have time anymore to sit there and read through all this comedy to find that one out of a hundred comment posts that, uh, are quality. So, Anyways, um, they've been shilling for Bitcoin a little bit here uh, in the past few months, and they even put out some Bitcoin FUD. Who knows if they're trying to make the market? Maybe they've decided that we're the biggest fucking news outlet in Bitcoin, <laughs> which they are. I mean, CoinDesk tries to be, right? But CoinDesk, they're a blockchain media, first of all, um, and they say that the net worth of their readership is, um, I don't know, 20 billion. The net worth of Zero Head's readership is a trillion dollars. And so, um, the Zero Head really is the biggest media in Bitcoin. And they're probably like, well, we can take advantage of that. Let's say there's, let's throw some FUD out there and see what the Bitcoiners do. Maybe we can trade this. Maybe we can go short Bitcoin, throw out some FUD and see what happens, right? Um, and it was proved, proved back then to be fun. There was something about Chinese, uh, banning Bitcoin. This was several months ago. Um, and anyways, so now they, they had a tweet the other day that said, Oh, Bitcoin is dead. Maybe it's time to invest in Ethereum. Fucking shilling Ethereum. And I tweeted at him. I said, or I, uh, quoted the tweet in one of my tweets. And I was like, I guess the, uh, this means they're shilling Ethereum now. Blah, 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 blah. They blocked me on Twitter and they blocked a bunch of other people. <laughs> it's just funny to me because a lot of their views on those Bitcoin stories, it's not going to be those old dusty gold bugs, right? It's going to be the Bitcoiners that go in there and read it <laughs> by blocking some of the major people on Twitter that are retweeting their stuff. Not that I'm major, but you know, um, some, a lot, a lot of people got blocked. So how is that going to help their readership if they're blocking everybody? Anyways, um, this story is from, from after that whole episode. I mean, I, I do have another account on Twitter that I can look at whatever the fuck I want to, even if anybody bans me. And there's other ways to get around that, uh, blocking. Um, and as Chris DeRose said on, on their latest Bitcoin Uncensored is that just puts them on your radar, right? That, that just, makes them the center of your vitriol even more of your trolling or whatever you want to call it so okay this article let's get into this europe proposes confiscating gold in crackdown on quote terrorist financing hot on the heels of 
China gold import restrictions, and India's demonetization and gold confiscations, the European Commission proposed tightening controls on cash and precious metals transfers from outside the EU under the guise of shutting down one route for funding of militant attacks on the continent. Uh, that's following the Berlin Christmas attacks. China has already begun de facto gold import restrictions, as giant Bandari or giant Bandari detailed previously. Uh, India is experiencing a continuation of new social engineering notifications, each sabotaging wealth creation, confiscating people's wealth, and tyr tyrannizing and tyrannizing those who refuse to be part of the herd. In the process, destroying the very backbone of the economy and civilization. There are clear signs that a very, in a very convoluted way, possession of gold for investment purposes will be made illegal. Expect capital controls to follow. Now, it's a little bit of FUD, right? Um, there's some run-on sentences there. It's hard to piece out or parse out. Um, <laughs> like this. There are clear signs that a, in a very convoluted way, clear signs and how can clear signs be in a very convoluted way? Basically, they're saying that your gold isn't safe. And this is one of my biggest problems with gold. I mean, I am a gold bug. Uh, I was a kind of active gold bug. Now I'm a Bitcoiner. But um, at, when I was a gold bug, you know, the biggest benefit to gold is that it, it's scarce, right? It has a physical nature that keeps it scarce. And if you ask most gold bugs out there, they're going to tell you that it's the scarcity that keeps governments in check, that, that makes gold a good standard or medium of exchange, a standard of exchange, because it is scarce and it's durable and all those things. Well, you know, my big, my biggest complaint about gold is that it can't scale because it's physical. So in the 20th century, you know, you start, they check their money, their gold into banks into vaults and that had that obviously that started a long long time ago but um, only in the 20th century did like 99 percent of gold reside in vaults and then they started doing uh certificates gold certificates and and all these things and so the gold wasn't yours anymore you never really touched it you never really saw it and they were able to print more gold certificates and yada 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 and i mean gold just wasn't good for exchange it wasn't good as the the basis of money. It has a very, very high value to weight ratio. Okay. But, uh, and that's what made it a good store of wealth as well. I mean, it's scarce, it's durable, all these things. Um, but it's hard to use in exchange. That's one reason why we use silver for exchange, mostly in the past, because a silver coin was worth a much smaller amount of money than a, than a gold coin. But anyway, so um, it couldn't scale. They had to check it into banks and use these certificates for trade because that was much, much easier. And a lot of a lot of accounts and balances and things started going onto books. And instead of uh, being actually trading hands, um, you never really handed people money. You just uh, debited and credited your uh, your ledger for all of this trade. And then, you know, sometime in the future, end of the month or end of the year, whatever, that you would um, uh, square up your books. You know, you'd actually take payment. So gold couldn't scale with that. Physical gold couldn't scale with that. The physical nature is what held gold back. Once we got off of the gold standard, um, you know, and or once we started using these uh, Federal Reserve notes and all, all these things, uh, fiat money, 
then we, um, uh, the economy scaled very, very quickly because there's a lot of pent up, uh, technological innovation and all these things. Um, but that scarcity is the problem because we couldn't, you know, we, it was a trade off. Either we had physical scarceness or physical scarcity or we had n- nothing scarce about it. Well, now we don't, you know, Bitcoin doesn't have that physical handicap that gold has. It can be held on the value to weight ratio of almost infinite, right? Um, on my, on a USB stick, I can have millions of dollars. So it's even, it's a better solution to gold for store of value for all of these different things that any way you look at money or want to define money, Bitcoin is superior. Um, and it's also a way to have, uh, to release money from the physical handicap. And I've covered that many, many times. But anyway, <laughs> uh, let's get back to this, this, uh, European story here. It looks like, I mean, as their banking system fails and stuff, this could become an issue. They're going to want to confiscate gold. If you have, if you don't have your gold in your house or in a safe place other than a bank or a vault, then, you know, you're probably doing okay. But if you have your money, if you have your gold in a vault somewhere, that ain't your vault, right? That ain't your vault. They're going to take that money. Guaranteed. When push comes to shove, they're going to fucking take your money. They don't care about the legal ramifications. Look in the U.S. They have these, uh, these, what do you call it? Civil asset forfeitures where they roll up on you and they take your money. And now they have, um, some state troopers in some states have these, uh, little machines, you know, like a, uh, little mobile credit card terminal thing. And they can scan your debit cards and scan your credit cards during the stop. And if they see, oh, you have a hundred thousand in your checking, why would you ever keep that much cash? It must be a crime. We're going to take it. And they can seize that. So no longer is it just cash that they can seize if they pull you over. They can seize fucking anything. They can steal any cash that you have. It's going to be the same fucking thing with gold. And why do people think it's going to be different? Gold is much more high powered than cash. I mean, cash day to day. Yes. Okay. That's high powered. But over the long term, when push comes to shove, gold is way more high powered than cash. And they're going to fucking take it if they want it. I don't know. I don't know why the gold bugs don't see this, right? I don't have any gold in a vault. I have secret places that I keep my gold, but it's not with a third party. It's the same way with Bitcoin. I think I have, uh, like 0.2 Bitcoins with third parties. Okay. But the vast majority of my Bitcoin, I just hold it and sit on it and I have control of it. So. And, and they can't confiscate that, right? Because that's in my vault. That's on my Trezor. That's on my hardware wallet or my cold wallet. That's mine and I, you can't take it. But if I have gold, if I have, uh, say, uh, I don't know, 10 kilos uh, on my allocated account, uh, with some big bank in some vault and I think that's my fucking gold, that ain't your gold, man. They're going to take it. That's the drawback of this stuff. Um, so yeah, there, this will, they're even talking about it now. You know, a lot of the stuff with, when Cyprus came out, when was that? 2012 or something? 2011? And, you know, the big bump that it gave to Bitcoin and everything. Um, well, and that's when they floated the bail-ins. And now that's like policy in the EU is you have to fucking do a bail-in. Look at Monty Pashi, Monty Depashi. They're make, they want to make them do a bail-in. And it, Italy's gonna have to go against 
their specific orders to do a bail-in to bail out to bail out their banks. I mean, they, they floated the trial balloon with with Cyprus, and now that's policy. They float these trial balloons about confiscating gold, and now it's going to be fucking policy in a year or two. If the damn euro stays together that long, this is going to be policy. They are going to make it illegal to transport gold, period, so that you have to hold it in your uh, bank's vault. And then <laughs> that's their gold, not your gold anymore. Um, ah, people are saying that this is going to happen to Bitcoin too, but it's 10 times harder, uh, if not impossible to do this with Bitcoin. And it's just going to drive people underground. See, that's the thing about, uh, Bitcoin and about f the free market or uh, less uh, unregulated markets. Some people are calling them freed markets now, but unregulated markets I, I like because there, there isn't really much thing as a free market, I guess, because all markets are basically free. Uh, they they are either regulated or not, but within that regulation, the market will choose its own path, right? Um, and that's what happens a lot. It under things undermine the central planners because the free market, because uh, the market chooses different things and starts undermining um, the plans of the regulators. But uh, so anyway, I I called I you could call it freed market or you could call it unregulated market. Um, where the fuck was I going with that? I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. But, um, yeah, this is going to happen, people. They are going to, this is going to be policy, just like the bail-ins was a trial balloon and now it's policy. Gold confiscation is going to be policy. They're going to make it so you can't cross borders with your gold, and then they're going to start seizing it. They're going to say, you know, hey, this is, this is, uh, you have, Five kilos of gold in your account here, your allocated account, whatever. Uh, this is fishy. Where the hell did you get this? This must be from Saudi Arabian gold or Qatar gold or Iraqi gold or Libyan gold or what the fuck ever. They're going to say it's terrorist gold and they're going to fucking take it. And then you're going to take it <laughs> right up the ass. So yeah, th this just makes me sad because gold bugs are missing out on this. Right. Or they're they're missing this whole thing. They're missing the Bitcoin revolution, if you will. Um, that, that pains me. It really does. Because they're usually good people. Ransomware is evolving. Here's a new story about MongoDB and their exploit, uh, the current exploit that's happening right now. This is a clip from Corey Knockreiner's YouTube channel. Links are in the show notes uh, for all this stuff. So enjoy. Welcome to WatchGuard's Daily Security Byte. I'm Corey Nockreiner. Today's story is Ransomed MongoDB Databases. If you haven't heard of MongoDB, it's a pretty popular open source and free database server, specifically a NoSQL server that's pretty popular in cloud instances. In the past, it's been known for having some pretty insecure defaults. Uh, back in 2015, a researcher actually used Shodan, which is an internet scanning tool, to find a whole lot of MongoDB 
instances that still had a default anonymous user that would pretty much give anyone on the internet access to the full MongoDB database on those servers. In fact, this researcher said he could access about 600 terabytes of data from all these insecure MongoDB database servers. More recently, in a Bleeping Computer blog post, another researcher who also follows these insecure MongoDB servers has noticed a server that seemed to have been hijacked and taken over by some threat actor that's asking for a ransom. Basically, they seem to have used some insecure defaults to gain access to the server, export its database, and then actually overwrite the database with a ransom message basically saying they want around 200 US dollars, or specifically 0.2 Bitcoin, to get your database back. According to the same author, it's not just one MongoDB server. The authors actually had a number of people that run MongoDB servers contact them to get some help in figuring out this issue, and it really seems to stem from those people actually using some insecure defaults in MongoDB, which existed in some previous versions of the popular database. Now, you can't really call this ransomware. Uh, the author of the Bleeping Computer Post says he doesn't call it ransomware because it doesn't encrypt things. It just exports and deletes your database. However, to me, you don't have to encrypt things to be ransomware. Old ransomware actually just locked your computer. The reason I don't call this ransomware is there doesn't seem to be any malware involved. This seems to be some sort of manual attack or an automated network attack where some threat actor is actively just taking advantage of flaws in bad MongoDB installations. To actually be ransomware, or more specifically even crypto ransomware that does encrypt files, there has to be some malware involved. In any case, what should you do about this? Well, if you're not a MongoDB administrator, you don't have to worry about it. But if you are a MongoDB administrator, there are simple steps you can take to actually lock down your server. Things like making sure to have authentication and removing guest anonymous accounts. Also things like making sure it's firewalled and only exposed to people that need access to it. Rather than going through all these tips, I'll just be sure to have a link in my blog post associated with this video that will share some of the MongoDB security tips. Altcoinville I only have one story here in the altcoin world and that is because it's been a little bit slow um ethereum had another bug uh, they in a major app so they had this like hacker hackathon type worldwide thing going on and they were giving away these tokens that were supposed to be redeemable and all this I don't know what they used them for or something, but that was uh, what this this whole app was created around was this hackathon. Ether Camp is what it's called. And uh, they found a huge bug in it. And so they have to scrap the whole damn thing and reissue the coins. I'm not kidding you. Now imagine if that happened to a billion dollar company. Imagine, imagine trying to do a $5 million company. Like you raised $5 million to do some big blockchain thing. And all of a sudden you, you know, you're a year into it with your beta going on and 
oh, fuck. There's a big-ass bug, and you have to redistribute and start all over again. Is anybody even going to trust you? Is any, Are you just going to feel like you wasted your whole last year, probably two years, raising money and, and building this thing out? Yeah, you're going to feel that way. Um, Ethereum has had a big rally though despite this bug uh this actually this bug came out or was discovered at least published about um after this rally had mainly taken place but they did rally up to $12 now they're back down around $9 but um on no real news right there's no real news out there about ethereum other than bitcoin the news is blockchain and there's a lot of people maybe that are building Ethereum-like blockchains, but uh, not. there hasn't been any real big news out of Ethereum lately. There was a big blog post by Vitalik, and, um, you know, it's it's almost like an encyclopedia, uh, his, his thing. He always co- coins new terms and everything in there, but um, other than that, there's really not much going on to justify this price going up and you know it's it's not meant to be a monetary type token so why does it go up i don't know and remember i've said this for a long time probably one of my first episodes i ever did on ethereum because that was right around the dow hack it's when i started this podcast and um so the i think my fourth episode was everything you want to know about the dow or something No, I forgot where I was going with that. Um, but you know, I said before that Vitalik's main reason for going to proof of stake is ideological. It's not technical. And it's not economic either. It's it's uh, ideological. So it's probably not it, that to me can't end up well. Right. When when you want to, it's just like a socialist wanting to, you know, redistribute everybody's money. It's not going to end up well, people. It's going to end up in a real bad place. And I thought it was funny, that line writer thing I talked about in the bits and pieces. The Ethereum one ends in jail. I thought that's pretty, pretty funny. But hey, like I said, for Altcoinville, that's all I have. It's pretty short. Let's listen to some next some more music. article okay so anybody who is following bitcoin at all right now the biggest story is the price rise and the subsequent crash here we had recently and now it looks like we're recovering but the understory uh, is the china story a lot of the volume seems to be coming out of China. A lot of the mining happens in China. Um, there's there's all of these uh, like sub stories going on here. Um, so I wanted to break into this. Um, I did record another segment, but some updates happened just last night. So I wanted to re-record this section and uh, get you guys the most current information. So as you know, the 
uh, a lot. It's if you look at the numbers, you can see about. 98% of all of the trading volume happens on the three ch big Chinese exchanges. Okay. Um, that's a little fishy. And everybody has been saying for a long, long time that that is just not the case. Just plain and simple, not the case. It's all fake volume. Well, the, there was a really good article here that I'm going to link in the show notes. And it goes, it, it examines this from a Chinese perspective. Uh, Neil Woodfine has a post here on, I think it's, what's the thing? Uh, I had to pull it up. It's a uh, blockunchained.com. And uh, he is the organizer of the Beijing Bitcoin meetup. So he is from the Chinese perspective. He's talking about the volume matter, the issues of volume on these exchanges. And he's saying it's not true. There's zero trading fees over there. And the way that they make their money is on withdrawal fees, but they, they've made it a tiered system. So, uh, if the more volume that your account has, the smaller percentage is your withdrawal fee. So that incentivizes the people to trade more, more of these micro trades, um, and trading back and forth to themselves. They'll set up multiple accounts and they will just, you know, put in a buy and, and a bid and an ask. At the same exact time for the same exact amount, basically at the same price, and they'll just trade back and forth to each other. So their volume will go up, but the price hasn't moved. I mean, there's no real price discovery there. Um, and bots can trade back and forth to each other, and the volume will just skyrocket. Uh, it makes sense to me. And this is from the coordinator of the Beijing Bitcoin meetup. So to me, that carries some weight. Uh, and yeah, so anyway, and then... That's a very good article. It goes, you know, gives you kind of an insider look. Now, another piece to this was at near that very top, tippy top of this last run. The CNY price was at all time highs. Uh, the US dollar price was just about to break all time highs, almost like $10, uh, which is pretty fantastic. I mean, in 2015, when we're, you know, sitting in the 200s and somebody was to tell us that 2016, we would make this huge run and almost get to all time highs right around the new years of 2016, 2017. People would be fantastically happy with that. Uh, they would also probably expect a lot of vol volatility all the way down to the 600s. Even we, we didn't even get that far. So, um, yeah, anyway, at the very tippy top, they're came out this story about the PBOC, the People's Bank of China, and how they were visiting or going to visit the Chinese exchanges. And everyone's like, oh my God, China's banning Bitcoin. You hear that every couple months, you'll hear a story about that. Zero Hedge came out and had a, a story about <laughs> a unsubstantiated FUD story, fake news that came out and said that China was banning Bitcoin. That was a couple months ago. But anyway, so it seems every couple months there's a story about banning Bitcoin in China and the PBOC actually were going to go and um, investigate these exchanges or at least audit them or kind of sit down and have lunch with them or talk with them, whatever. It was basically an audit. Um, so anyway, they, they came in and the price just crashed. Everyone panicked at the top. It's typical, though, because we were at this starting this parabolic move up. I mean, if you look at the two last two daily 
candles there. Uh, you know, if this would have continued, we probably could have gone to 1400 in a day, uh, 1400 USD in a day and then crashed back down anyway. But, um, it was about time anyway. So they came in and the Bitcoin China or BTCC, that's Bobby Lee is CEO and Samson Mao works there. I think he's, is he, uh, COO at, uh, BTC China. And they did a f- fantastic job, I thought, communicating with the community saying, this is not a raid. This is a scheduled meeting. We are just meeting with the PBOC people. They are taking an interest in Bitcoin. Come on, people. This is not, uh, FUD. It's not crazy that we're just meeting with them. And they then later on, a few hours later, they, they have this uh, five tweet thread that they explained exactly what happened. And I thought they did a great job. And even Bobby Lee came out specifically personally and said, it's not FUD. Samson Mouse said, come on, stop the FUD. We're just meeting with these people. Um, but it crashed. The price crashed. And then we stabilized for a few days and then we crashed again when it came out um, that, you know, there was more stuff happening with the PBOC. Maybe they were going to get involved in Bitcoin, do some sort of uh, reserve or insurance for, you know, mandate these things. Uh, so anyway, last night it finally came out that they were going to stop or not allow lending for margin on spot trading. The futures, okay, coin futures supposedly is unaffected at this point, but on Hubi or Huboy, however you say it, uh, okay coin and BTCC, spot margin lending is not, they're not able to do it anymore. It's going to be disabled. So there, to me, that was pretty big news. And I was watching the charts. I'm like, okay, is this going to happen? I mean, are we going to crash all the way down to, 600 or 500 or something after this news nothing happened nothing happened i think they the whales knew about this the whales in china the guys that are important to the exchange they knew about this the very minute that everyone else you know back in the 900s after the first crash they already knew so that might have what been what caused this crash down to 730 735 well usd let's see what was it it got all the way down to 4,800 uh, CNY, right? 4,885 on uh, OKCoin. So that crash might have happened from the insiders knowing something. And now that's kind of bled off. And now we're going back up again. Um, we'll see. But I expected a bigger crash after that. And so it's not happening. Um, and that could mean that we are going back up. I was trying to think like if I were a investor in china and i wanted to i was a big fish not a whale but a big fish you know with hundred thousand dollars that i wanted to go onto the bitcoin exchanges and and trade with then uh what would this mean to me well it just means i'm going to be trading futures i won't be trading spot i think there i think this whole cny capital flight thing is way overblown i don't think you see it everywhere and it started coming out, you know, Zero Hedge was a big pumper for this. Um, and I, I just, I don't see the connection. It's such a small amount of money and there's way better ways to get, get stuff out of the country. I mean, there's just simple money laundering scams that you can do, let alone uh, anything else that you want. What? Anyway, um, 
so I don't see this huge demand by the Chinese people. I think it's kind of this self-fulfilling prophecy. If you say that this whole big push in Bitcoin is due to devaluation of the Chinese yuan, then when the Chinese yuan goes down or gets devalued, Westerners buy, right? I mean, it's it's like a, a long time ago, it was in the 80s maybe, when I was a babe, a little baby, there, Johnny Carson was on the late show and he said, or the tonight show, whatever it's called. And he, he did a skit where he's like, Oh, there's a shortage of toilet paper in the country. Well, what happened? Everybody fucking went out and bought toilet paper. And then there was a shortage of toilet paper. It was a self fulfilling prophecy. And so it's the same sort of thing with this CNY devaluation stuff. When the devaluation happens, then people buy Bitcoin because they think it's going up. And if it's, if the CNY strengthens for a couple of weeks, people stop buying. I mean, it's, it's that's pretty simple. <sighs> I mean, it's, it's not as if Bitcoin is this huge trillion dollar market where these people can go in and out basically anonymously and do this. No, it's, it's decently well regulated. These people are being watched and it's not that, uh, easy of a way to do it. There's much easier ways for them to, to do this. Okay. Anyway, um, that is my featured topic that I wanted to talk about. Um, I want to congratulate BTCC. I think they did an excellent job communicating with the community. And I understand that they withhold held a few things like the margin lending, uh, even though that's a pretty big piece, they apparently look at what happened to the price. I mean, that came out last night. We had a small little dip, but when that news came out, we've been basically up from then. So that's interesting. I mean, there is some undertones that this legitimizes Bitcoin in China, right? Like if they're going to come in and start regulating these this margin lending, that means everything else is legit. So that's a positive. But uh, okay, so I want to congratulate them. I think they did a good job. I understand them withholding some information. That's okay. Um, they seem to be, have been good stewards of these people's money, of traders' money, of their clients' money, um, and of Bitcoin in China. I hope that BTCC takes a big leadership role in China because those guys are knocking it out of the park. They're big Segwit fans, you know, big, big core supporters. They have their heads on straight. So, um, yeah, I hope they do take a little leadership role. I might be, <laughs> buying some of their little tokens that they have. They have some cool merchandise uh, from BTCC. I think they have some like poker chips and some, you know, physical, uh, what is it, silver Bitcoins or something like that. I think those are pretty cool. I might buy those. I might uh, support them in that way. Uh, but yeah, I think they did a great job and, and I hope they continue to be open and honest with people and uh, use their best judgment like they have. I think it worked out well this time. Will it work out well every time? Maybe, probably at this point. I mean, there's no reason to think it won't. So uh, congrats, hats off to them. Flashpoint. Okay, this is going to be a short flashpoint. There's so much going on in Bitcoin. Um, there's a lot going on in the world, too, with uh, Donald Trump and 
his inauguration coming up. Um, he's had a recent press conference that there was a lot of hubbub about the S and P and the, or the Dow specifically is off the two. 20,000 mark, which was everyone was, uh, all like preparing memes for and, and all this bullshit. Uh, it, it's just, that's just an excuse for like clickbait. You know, that's, that is the excuse for financial press these days. Mainstream financial press is 20,000 memes for the Dow. But, uh, I mean, there's, there's a ton going on. The dollar is weakening a little bit, which is pretty big news compared considered that a lot of people are saying that 2017 is going to be the year of the dollar. Uh, and I mean, it's really early to say that, but uh, I've been on record here on the show saying I don't expect it to be the year of the dollar. I think the dollar might make it up a little bit higher than it's been uh, now, like maybe 104, 105, but uh, the euro is strengthening a little bit. You know, we're in this swing. Everything is a little bit cyclical. We're kind of on a downswing here for the dollar. Uh, it might spike up or it might stay roughly where it is. It's a race to the bottom at this point. Remember, all fiat currencies, all debt-laden currencies like this, the dollar, the yuan, the euro, the, the yen for sure, it's all a race to the bottom. Everybody's trying to devalue their currency to increase exports. It's It's like... It's just like mercantilism. I mean, the same story forever. They want to produce at home and export and import wealth. That's their idea. Um, it doesn't work that way anymore, obviously. It didn't work that well under mercantilism, but still, that's, um, that's what we're dealing with here. It's a race to the bottom. So, uh, yeah, the, the yuan doesn't want to devalue too quickly against the dollar. And so they are putting in some measures to cut back on that. That has a lot to do with Bitcoin here. And, um, I, the fact that I don't really buy into that the CNY devaluation is what is driving this Bitcoin price, this Bitcoin thing. I think that's a self-fulfilling prophecy, but, uh, this is something related to Trump here. Um, you know, there's been a lot of news about the Russian hackers. And everything that the new thing is like, oh, the Russians did it. Blame it on the Russians. And I, I enjoy Donald Trump's position on Russia that he's trying to be friendly. He doesn't want to start a war. And how refreshing is that? I mean, Barack Obama came in and he was got the Nobel Peace Prize, for God's sakes. And he's been in more countries with the military than Bush before him. He's dropped bombs on nine countries where Bush only dropped bombs on seven. And he's continued the drone program, killing hundreds of people, if not thousands. We're still in Afghanistan. We're still in Iraq. We've increased our military uh, involvement around the world under Barack Obama. And he got the goddamn Nobel Peace Prize. And now here you have Trump that everybody's painting as a hater. Okay, I'm all politicians are liars. I'm not going to like say that Trump is a great person because he's a, he's a liar for sure. He's a politician. Well, he's a politician now. Um, you can't trust him, but he is at least speaking in a way that's more peaceful than the Nobel Peace Prize winner. And everyone's calling him Hitler. Everyone's calling him this, uh, horrible person, violent and disgusting and all these things. But he's not wanting to take us to war. It's so backwards, man. It's so backwards. And I also like the way that Trump has been um, giving it to the media. 
the mainstream media. I mean, he just has them eating out of the palm of his hand. And I hope that he uses some of this time, these four years, next four years, to destroy the mainstream media. That nothing would make me happier than that. Well, of course, maybe going to like a Bitcoin standard or something like that. But, uh, no, that's busting up the mainstream media is one of the biggest things that he can do. And that would be pretty cool. So anyway, this is, this flashpoint is about this Russian hacker stuff. Um, now it's come out that really the only evidence, uh, that they've provided, the FBI or the CIA or whoever provided that this linked them, linked Russians to this hack, whatever hack they're talking about. No one even knows if there was a hack in the first place, um, is Ukrainian malware. And this is public, publicly available malware that has been out leaked for a long, many years. And so they're trying to blame this, uh, hack on this malware that they're claiming is Russian, but it's really just publicly available, uh, in the vicinity of Russia, Ukraine, publicly available malware. Now with that knowledge, they have to be either incompetent because they have to see this. Oh, that's Russia, which I believe because, um, governments are usually incompetent and that's coming from me. I was in the military for 10 years. Um, I experienced all forms of government from state governments to, uh, national governments to foreign governments and some of their top like planning people, military planners, all that stuff. And they, they're just, most of them are morons. And that's the way the structure is set up in government. You know, if you cause too many problems, if you think for yourself too much, you get kicked out or at least pressured to get out. And a lot of people, free thinkers, don't last very long in the military or the government. And so, yeah, it, it consolidates these psychos. That's why I say that, you know, government is just a bunch of psychopaths. Because the way that it's set up, it consolidates these people, especially at the top. And that's that's scary because a lot of the generals up there, even though some people will praise these generals to high heaven and stuff, they are psychopaths. They made it through the system. And I was in that system. The only way to get ahead was to be a yes man and to keep going. Just go, go, go. Don't think about what you're doing. Don't think about the consequences. And yeah, maybe there's a few people up there in rank and in high levels of government that have gotten there because of some fluke. They were able to resist all this stuff and still make it ahead. Yeah, great. They're great people and that's possible, but it's highly unlikely. I think government is full of these people and... So yeah, uh, either this hack is being called a Russian hack because of incompetence, uh, maybe blinded by the way that, you know, they are ordered to say it was a Russian hack and to find out and find any evidence to support that. And this is what they came up with. I mean, I don't know, but they're either incompetent or they're lying to your face. And I believe it's incompetence, but you know, maybe the, it might be incompetence on the part of the average guy in there, uh, but it's also lying, straight lying by the powers that be. Barack Obama doesn't believe this. Are you kidding me? <sighs> anyway, so that was, that's my flashpoint. There's a link to this, uh, to an article about this in, in the show notes. 
That's a wrap for this episode. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Ansel Linder. This is Bitcoin and Markets. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so at the website, bitcoinandmarkets.com. I have a donate page with a QR code, also a PayPal button, so you don't have to spend your valuable Bitcoins. Uh, that's also where you'll find uh, all the show notes. I put quite a bit of effort into the show notes with lots of links, and you know, I embed some tweets and some videos in there, so that's good. Uh, what else? Uh, you can contact me through Twitter at Ansel Lindner or the show's Twitter is BTCMRKTS Bitcoin and Markets that's all thanks for joining me on another wild week in Bitcoin see you next time peace peace